What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Wide-scale debt relief should be one of Joe Biden's top priorities in his first 100 days. That's what Astra Taylor says in the new issue of The Nation. It's devoted to the question of what Biden can do and should do. Astra, of course, is co-founder of The Debt Collective and director of documentary films, including What is Democracy? She's written for The New York Times, The LA Times, N Plus One, and other outlets. She's the author most recently of the book, Democracy May Not Exist, But We'll Miss It When It's Gone. We talked about it here. We reached her today in Greensboro, North Carolina. Esther Taylor, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Well, household debt was a problem in America even before COVID arrived. Let's start there. Americans are indebted. In fact, I like to say that the American dream is now getting out of debt, which means it's not to own your house outright, to have that white picket fence, but just to have zero dollars. That that's now an ambition for a huge number of people. The average American dies $62,000 in arrears. That was pre-COVID. What we have is a, a country, a society where wages have stagnated for 40 plus years and easy access to credit has covered that up. So credit has created this kind of illusion of prosperity or just being able to get by. You put your necessities on the credit card. People put a whole lot of medical bills on their credit cards. People go into student debt to go to college. People borrow money because they're not making enough at their low paid jobs. And so this was uh, reaching epic proportions before COVID. Consumer debt in this country had reached a whopping 14 trillion. And so what happens when tens of millions of jobs evaporate overnight? Well, so do the paychecks, right? And so what happens is people are are going into debt and we're facing a a reality where when rent moratoriums lift, and student loans become on payment, sorry, student loan payments become unpaused. So these sort of measures that have been taken over the last 10 months because of the pandemic, when those end, people are gonna get massive bills and a bad situation is about to become much worse. So that is something we're experiencing in a far more dramatic way during this pandemic. And I think it's something we need to put the forefront of of our political response and our economic response. Well, student debt, of course, has gotten the most consistent political attention over for a long time. You've been working on this for years. Uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren both campaigned around student debt. Didn't Obama have a program to reduce student debt or manage it or something like that? Student debt is something that, you know, has been growing by unbelievable leaps and bounds. So 
I was part of a group uh, during Occupy Wall Street that marked what we called One Tea Day in 2012 under the Obama administration. One Tea Day was the day student debt surpassed $1 trillion. That's now the good old days. We're yeah. at $1.7 trillion. And when you have you know, this kind of compound interest, it's just going to grow. So we're looking towards probably protesting to Tea Day very soon under a Biden administration. What's happened is that both parties, there's a kind of bipartisan consensus that education is something that should be debt financed, right? That it's not, a, we don't have, we, we have figures like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren responding to public you know, pressure and activists like the Debt Collective and others who are saying, no, education is a, is a public good, it should be a right. The fact is both parties you know, want to treat it as a commodity and their solution for uh, the last 50 years has been that people should borrow in order to attend uh, school, and that's a failed policy. It's it, it's just a it's a it's a program that has led to forty five million people being buried in student debt because they were told the only way to get ahead in the world, you know, was to go to college and get a degree. That was the only way they're going to have a decent life. So we need some dramatic reassessment of this approach to education. I'm of the opinion that we need public education for all who want it. Two and four year public universities and colleges should be free. That's what we had not that long ago in California where you are, right? Then governor of uh, California, uh, Ronald Reagan was the one who sort of began imposing tuition at the University of California system uh, in response to social movements, actually, and, and, you know, in line with the conservative Republican agenda. So we need to go back to that model, expand that model. Um, and the fact is the federal government owns about 95% of all that $1.7 trillion of student debt. So what the debt collective has been arguing is that Joe Biden on his first day in office can and should, with a signature, cancel all federal student debt. This is money that um, he has unique singular power to erase. Congress in 1965, as part of the Higher Education Act, actually granted the Department of Education the ability to do what is called compromise and settle student debt because they that is that is federally held debt. And so the ability to create debt implies legally the ability to cancel it. So actually, this is student debt's really important in this moment, not because it's, you know, the worst kind of debt or or because it's somehow, um, you know, it's there's something special about it. What's special about it is the fact that without uh, Mitch McConnell intervening, without the Republicans being able to undermine this this endeavor, Joe Biden can literally instruct the education secretary to erase it all. And there are lots of reasons for doing so. There's an ethical argument, which is that it's not fair to have a generation burdened by this incredible debt load. And there's an economic argument, which is that all of that money people are paying to their, to their student loan servicers would then go into the economy and would just allow them to buy groceries, pay their rent, <laughs> survive in a pandemic. Of course, there's lots of other kind of debt. Pandemic is very much on our minds right now, but medical costs seem a much more complicated thing. Anyone who's ever tried to look at their, uh, you know, insurance statement, your doctors bill you separately from the emergency room as a private operation from the hospital and your private insurance covers part of it. And if you're in Medicare, the government pays part of it. It seems like it would be a lot harder to address medical debt. All of these are interconnected. They seem separate. 
student loans, credit cards, medical debt. It's all part of a larger system where people have to debt finance the things they need to survive. Again, because they're not paid enough and because we don't have public services. We don't have universal health care or free public education or you know, um, social housing. So people have to debt finance the things that they need to live. And so medical debt is uniquely out of control in this country. In Canada, people aren't going into bankruptcy because of medical debt. Medical debt doesn't exist. But here, uh, it's the leading cause of bankruptcy. That was the case, again, before the pandemic. Of course, people not only have to face the nightmare of possibly getting sick with COVID, but then they have to face the possibility of incredible um, bills, you know, life-destroying debt that, that might come with surviving this disease. So it's incredibly important that we address this. Medical debt is tricky. So part of why we're leading with the demand to cancel student debt, again, is because Joe Biden can do that on day one. Again, all it takes is a signature. Medical debt is held by many different entities, hospitals, uh, debt collectors who have bought uh, past due debts on the secondary market, um, you know, private uh, healthcare providers. So it's reflective of our piecemeal patchwork system that these debts are held all over the place. So in the piece for the nation I wrote, I said, well, one thing, just the way the federal government, just like the federal government can erase all the student debt it has, any debt owed to a veterans hospital, a military hospital, the government can just erase that. That's, that's easy. Any medical debts uh, belonging to the government should be erased. But there, there has to be more creative initiatives to get rid of the rest of this medical debt. So Bernie Sanders, when he was running for office, proposed that the government could buy $81 billion of past due medical debt uh, and then extinguish it. That's a great idea. I mean, we need to think on that level. Um, one other thing that I, I discovered by talking to consumer law experts who work on this is that nonprofit hospitals get their status as nonprofits because they're required by law to provide something called charity care, which means that if you're, you live twice above the poverty level, you get free emergency services. And guess what? Hospitals aren't providing that. They're not notifying patients that that's what they're entitled to. And they're billing them and leaving them with incredible amounts of debt, life-destroying debt. So one thing we need is just for the IRS actually to step up on its enforcement and say, look, hospitals, you have to notify your patients. You have to notify them in English and Spanish. You have to give the free services and thus eliminate the medical debt you know, that you are required to, uh, to keep getting this nonprofit status. So, you know, I'm trying to think of things in this essay that, that a bold administration could do without legislation, you know, I mean, because the thing is that, um, you know, that, that we don't know what the balance of power is going to be. So that's an important thing to think about. But there's lots of things on the table that can help reduce the suffering caused by various kinds of debt, including medical debt. And of course, we have to talk about the rent issue and the eviction protection, which my understanding is is temporary. And the day is going to come when people are supposed to pay the rent that has been postponed. How's that supposed to work? I think you used exactly the right word. We sometimes say there's been a rent moratorium, right, or a pause, but it's a postponement. And these bills are piling up. And we know people we're having a hard time paying the rent again before the pandemic. So then how a year into this crisis, are you then supposed to pay 10 months, 11 months of back rent, right? It's not gonna happen. That's why people are warning, why experts are warning of an eviction tsunami. Uh, you know, Tens of millions of people are, are at risk of homelessness. 
the debt collective, the group that I helped found and organize with, we are building an anti uh, eviction tool just for Los Angeles County, actually, a place you know. Um, Los Angeles County, something like 500,000 households are an imminent threat of eviction. So <laughs> let me just give you a picture of how hard it is to fight eviction in Los Angeles County. You get something that's called a, an unlawful detainer. So you have to answer that as the person who's being evicted. Well, guess what? It takes $500 to file such a thing and you have to go to the courts. So what we've done is we're building an app so that people can apply for a fee waiver and, 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 and challenge this eviction from home. The point, my, the point is that this is way too complicated um, and that we need some, we need a bold national response to this crisis because right now, again, we're in this sort of patchwork piecemeal system where legal aid uh, providers are going to be totally overwhelmed. So we absolutely need to deal with this and, and we need to say, you know, no evictions, but also that, that back rent is not, um, is not collectible. So any, aid that goes to the landlords or the banks should come with strict terms that say, okay, if you're getting help, then you can't also try to collect from tenants, from, from renters who are in arrears. Um, this is something that, you know, we're just going to pay such a huge cost as a society if 40 million people and their children are evicted, right? Yes. I mean, this is something, it boggles the mind. You know, it's just one of these things where I can't believe that in the middle of a pandemic, we're even entertaining this possibility. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, it makes economic sense. It's not, it's the, we are all going to suffer if people are homeless, if neighborhoods are further decimated and hollowed out, right? So these, I think it's very important with all the kinds of debts that I lay out in the piece, student debt, medical debt, back due rent, mortgages, and later I talk about municipal debt. There's both, again, an ethical argument for canceling these debts and an economic one, right? This is how we're all going to recover from this crisis. One last thing. Republicans say people are in debt because they made bad choices and that we need to encourage individual responsibility. If you're in debt, that's your problem. Don't expect me to pay your debts because of your bad choices. I imagine you've thought about this argument. We hear that one a lot. Pay your own damn debt. The thing we're trying to do as the debt collective and that I try to do in this piece is, is just point out what I think is accurate and factual. Again, when you look at how underpaid people are and the and the way that we are gouged as citizens of this country for healthcare, for education, the fact that individual indebtedness is not the product of poor choices. Another way of saying this is people are not poor because of poor choices, right? We're indebted because of structural conditions that give us no other choice but to borrow to survive. So the debt collectives like likes to say, we are not in debt because we live beyond our means. We are in debt because we're denied the means to live. Once again, if you live in the United Kingdom, you live in Canada, you live in Finland, you medical debt is an impossibility. <laughs> it's not something that's going to happen. Um, so I think this is, I think it's really important for us to challenge this idea that People are are taking these debts of choice, uh, you know, of sort of free will of their own choice. A lot of debt is taken under duress. So there's tons of data about this. You know, the payday lenders, for example, target overwhelmingly uh, single mothers who tend to be black and brown. Um, and why do these women take out payday loans? Well, they take them out to avoid being on the streets with their children, right? So we know these are, that's not a, that's not, you're not, you're not going in there going, what I'd really like today is a, 
a short-term loan at 500% interest, that would be thrilling. No, you're doing this out of desperation. And we know there's a long history of resistance to usury, going into religious traditions, the biblical traditions of actually, you know, people understanding that this, the morality, the problem is not immoral debtors. The problem is those who take advantage of people and try to profit from pain and suffering. And that's the thing. We've let that that type of business go rampant in this country, you know, is, is people who are essentially vultures and who see a business opportunity in other people's poverty. Astrid Taylor, she wrote about debt relief as one of Joe Biden's key tasks in his first hundred days. Her piece is part of the nation's special issue on the first hundred days. You can read Astra and the other contributors, all activists and political people at thenation.com. Astra, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.